0: Welcome to Pragmatic. Pragmatic is a weekly discussion show contemplating the practical application of technology. Exploring the real world trade offs, we look at how great ideas are transformed into products and services that can change our lives. Nothing is as simple as it seems. This episode is sponsored by Wet Frog Studios. Visit wetfrogstudios.com slash pragmatic to get in touch and take advantage of a special offer for their app, icon, and logo design service exclusively for Pragmatic listeners. We'll talk more about them during the show. I'm your host, John Chidgy, and I'm joined today by a special guest, uh, Mr. Horace Dediu. How are you, Horace?
1: I am very well. I'm on the other side of the world, but otherwise, you know, we, we, we're, we're we're having a bit of sort of a Cold, dreary
0: uh, kind of day, but it's um, oh, you're, s- you're really selling it there.
1: <laughs> yeah, well, <laughs> I uh, Finland is not a place that that prides itself on its weather. So if you if you don't you, if you don't make it into a a selling point, you might as well. complain about it so just run um no it's 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 it's, some days are lovely especially uh in the summer but today wasn't but um so so i'm just thinking in my mind that you're in the exact opposite type of climate and season
0: yeah and uh yeah at the moment it's just very mild i love the winters here it's uh currently about uh, 18 degrees celsius and that's at four in the morning so yeah, it's just lovely. I love this time of year. But uh I lived in Calgary far more north, similar kind of um latitude to uh where you are and uh yeah, the winters aren't necessarily the best, but the summers are lovely. So anyway, mm, Calgary, yeah, Canada.
1: All right, so um so uh, how are things?
0: Um very good. I'm uh, just wanted to uh get you on specifically to talk about A topic that has fascinated me over the years and I think with your background and experience that uh, you might uh, have some interesting things to add about it and the the topic is uh, core business and I know that it means different things to different people but what I what I try to do is I try to look at this from the angle of um, if I'm an individual and I want to set out on an endeavor I want to be a software developer I want to be a designer of some kind I want to you know do uh, engineering i want to do statistical analysis whatever um if that becomes something bigger and i need to extend what i'm doing how do i stay focused on my core business and one of the things that i think is fascinating is look at how companies grow they start off with one two three people and then they grow and grow um well the successful ones do anyway and you have to start making tough choices so that's one of the things that i I wanted to talk about today so Mm that interesting well yeah
1: it does and I'm pretty, I'm not really um, a good person to interview but I also am a good I am a good person to interview. so here's <laughs> the reason why one one thing is that when you talk to individuals who have gone through and been uh, been been uh, so, so, so to speak in the trenches and they they explain the world through their experience but they've had, typically a very narrow experience, although deep one. And they, they will tell you what they experienced. And some people take that and say, well, if I could just do it the same way, I, would, I too would be successful. Usually the successful people get interviewed. Um, the problem is that you, they tend not to have, when you're in the trenches, you don't have the view of, of the overall battlefield the overall campaign the overall mm. um, strategic view and so in some ways that that experience may be too narrow for most people and so um and so the, the the challenge is that you know like a lot of business books amount to a person telling their their story of how they see things and their their anecdotes but it isn't it's like asking a scientist to explain the world. Based on the what's in their home, it doesn't mean it, that you're going to get a good sample. the 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 problem is that also if you if you ask someone who's a generalist what how to do things, they tend to look at it from a very high level point of view, and they are, they're they armchair strategists. They're 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 going to see things theoretically, and sometimes theories can be very good. You don't need to if you have a great theory like for example, the theory of gravity that explains why things fall—you you don't need to—you um, y- 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 don't need to have that experience of falling to prove it. And and so so there are there are questions about how good a certain theory might be um, in business. And so so the question generally is: Here's here's how I would answer this. Yep. The 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 path from small to large is a very very difficult path um because in it you're you're going to encounter for you know sort of splits in the road that 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 might you know be guided by data or or events that are just just imminent so you have to make a decision at that point and and so there's there's there isn't the luxury usually of sort of thinking what are the long term. You're, you're going to have a customer come to you and say, here's a great, here, here, I want to buy this from you, and I'm going to place a large order. And rarely do you stop and think, is this a good customer to have long term? You're so you 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 you're so happy to have a customer in the first place, and you might say, well, there's 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 nothing wrong with uh, with with taking on a big order and um but yet you'll see how much that will will the ownership will be will be um uh you you think you own something but they own something back and so your customers will become increasingly uh things that that control you and so so here's my that's so the pragmatic thing is like about making making the right decision on a given moment given the facts you have but the there's a there's a sort of a uh, a bigger broader question about strategy and I don't think strategy strategy gets a bad uh, bad reputation because it's it's applied in like I said in a theoretical manner on a broad scale but actually in this, it it it, it's, it can be applied by small companies in, in in very narrow context so the strategy could be a strategy decision for a small company would be. Do I want to have large customers, or do I want to have small customers? Do I want to have um, a, a certain even investor versus another type of investor? Whose money do I want to take? Because that money ends up controlling a lot of your decision making. Mm-hmm. So I'll give you a personal perspective. You know, when I started doing what I'm doing now, which is uh, a Simcoe, which is a blogging yeah. uh, venture, I had to I had to you know ask myself, Do I want to li- have uh, consulting work, advertising revenue, or, or do I want to b- refuse both of those and, and carry on doing essentially free work because it's actually felt better? So th- th- this is the type of thing. Now, if you're young and, and generally very hungry, you tend to accept whatever is biggest in terms of revenue. Absolutely. Um, and, 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 you know, uh, because you're starving. But it's like saying again the difference between accepting a free meal when you're starving and sort of deciding to be picky uh, because your health would be better off by eating a proper meal or a healthy meal or, uh, um, you know, uh, nutritious food. So, so I can't give you a, a specific advice, but I can tell you that that in my in my way of thinking that the. the what felt right was more important to me at that point in my life than doing what looked right on paper. And a consulting type of work, I tried it a little bit, but I had the luxury of being able to also say, you know, I enjoy that other stuff more. I'm going to do that. And it turned out that the stuff that I enjoyed doing had a broader scope eventually and actually probably led to a better, a a better business, quote unquote. meaning that it led me to doing things like podcasting yeah. more publishing doing more things like speaking events coming and doing things like air show which is my own my own um, uh, mix of education and and data data presentation um and and ultimately might lead to yet more, more things down the road that i can't uh, uh I, I can't envision yet but Whereas had I become a consultant, it's likely that I would have ended up with one or two large clients taking all of my time, and I wouldn't have done any publishing, any more publishing, or at least without much enthusiasm. And therefore, the quality of that product would have gone downhill. And there, those new opportunities that eventually came my way would have never shown up. Mm-hmm. So so maybe I would have felt uh, some p- people have a predisposition to be good consultants, but I was a pretty bad one because I really <laughs> – would have spent my time time daydreaming of the data that I could give away for free instead. <laughs> um, and the, the second the second alternative I mentioned, which was being um, 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 what was it uh, um, a consultant or or an advertising driven business. So that at the time, you know, there were a couple of companies in two thousand eleven or so 10, 11, who were being acquired by by larger blogging aggregators, so you had mashable and 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 the verge was spun out but before the verge there was there was uh, i guess there, there were a couple of big brand names that were acquired um, Huffington Post was a huge phenomenon and and there were things like uh gizmodo and and um and 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 a lot of the people said well you ought to." You ought to do what they do. You ought to become a big brand in in in, as in online in your business insider or do more stuff with with. Uh, w- at the time, the hot area w- was actually the financial advice area, the things like Seeking Alpha and and blogging sites where where people gave each other stock tips essentially, and yeah. and so that was a really pulling at me because. Here's an opportunity to do exactly the way I was doing things, working in my own environment, my own home. Um, so it wouldn't be for a boss in that sense, even if that boss is a is a client. But it would be, but it would, but you would be still a slave or a, not the right word, but a, you would be um, having to uh, observe the the dynamics of of the advertising business, which, which you quickly realize involves actually getting a lot of page views or getting a lot of um, um, measurements, right? That are appropriate to whomever pays the bill. Yep. And, and what I noticed is that again, if you chase down that road of page views, you end up actually diluting the quality of your content because it, it was Absolutely. a simple test to make. You could just make a sensational article uh, and I noticed that even when I, when I allowed myself to be a little bit sensationalist, sometimes um, by mistake, so, it was simply because I wrote the wrong headline. And okay. I would write a headline like… Um,
0: Did you write a headline with a question mark at the end?
1: Yeah. yeah. One of them, <laughs> I think, was like, why was so-and-so fired? and it right. was like because the ceo had just been changed and i would write this question but it was a rhetorical question because yeah, i wanted I to see. answer it in a certain way mm-hmm. but it turned out that those were getting a huge number of page views and people began you could see it in the in the in the comment section how essentially the article didn't matter it was an opportunity for people to actually have a have essentially a bar fight yeah and um and and so you just acted as the bar and <laughs> provided a forum for that to happen so so i I kind of like really had left me with a bad taste and i realized though i'm sure advertisers would love this and that was then i and the other thing that i realized was that if you were to let's say reach out to the ceo of a company that was um that was in that business let's say uh, you know huffington post or something like that you'd realize very quickly also I, i had some communication with some of the writers in those groups and a I, I realization that actually the writers and the people who create the content are actually very low down the power structure there. And so it, that's in a way that's a reflection of the fact that the content didn't matter. The content was actually the least valuable component of the business. Uh, the people in charge were really focused on the advertising and the aggregation of eyeballs and and deal making with uh, distribution deals and, and uh Partly, I also got the clue from talking to, for example, other other fairly good bloggers, like, for example, the the Philip Elmer Dewitt, who was uh, is still at at Fortune and CNN, and he, you know he would tell me how the how the how the business worked and and what mattered in that business, and and the the writers were the le- I wouldn't say least valuable, but many times there were like interns, there were people who weren't almost paid anything at all. And you could see that also in the pay structure of like, oh, we love articles. We're at Huffington Post or whatever. We'd love to have an article and here's like $2 or whatever. Ridiculous amount of money to be paid for the very thing that people came to read. I mean, that that shocked me a lot.
0: But the focus, as you're saying, sorry to interrupt just quickly, but um, the point is that their core business, therefore, is driven more by advertising than it is actually by the content that they create. Yes. Yeah. Yeah.
1: So so, so this... These these two data points that that look I see consulting and I understand that fundamentally, but also I realize that that eats your time and you, you know you end up with having really the same types of relationships that you have your if you're employed for a large company, but it just it's one it, it, there's a there's a boundary of of kind of employment contract between you that's different from a consulting contract, but but then the advertising business also was unpalatable to me, so 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 I just said no I'm not going to freeze my my the way I, what I do or, or chase down that road because it just doesn't feel right to me there was this point in my life I was at that point in my life where I said you know what matters to me is that I enjoy getting the word out and I want to make the best possible analysis and give it to as many people because those people are going to give me a lot of great feedback, mm-hmm. and that the, the the whole focus became quality number one in terms of output, but also creating a quality um, experience or quality forum where people could be free could could feel uh, comfortable giving back and yes. so so the, the key became comments the key became creating an atmosphere of Respect, mutual respect between uh, uh, writer and audience, and between audience members and and each other. And so, when you realize then that by building up a brand which which people you know thought was resonant with 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 uh, quality and community, then. Suddenly things started to click, and I, and it was instinctive at the beginning, and I didn't realize what I was doing. I was just doing what felt right. But in, over time, we realized that, or I realized that it was it was the formula was there that that you you create as best content as you can, you make sure lots of people can get to it, you don't compromise on on um, you know one thing I would do is for example I wouldn't promote myself I wouldn't in a way, uh, toot my own horn or wave my own flag, whatever's appropriate here. But I would essentially, once in a while, I might, you know, of course, I would tell people I just wrote something, but I wouldn't bang on about it. And also, the the rule I had in mind was essentially, as far as marketing and sales was, was don't ask people to 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 reach out or something like that. Let them come if if they feel compelled to do so. And and also you'll you soon realize that if you don't if you don't promote yourself and you do good work then others will promote for you because mm, they'll actually right. say nobody knows about this guy this is great stuff or nobody knows about this product let me tell you about it so people who are fans of the product will actually become your best salespeople because yes. they, they they'll see that no one else is if the, they see you actively promoting then they'll say well he's doing the job i'm not gonna need to do that job he's probably better at it than i am but if you see the the vacuum of of of, of promotion you'll sort of want to step in and just do your best because you think that it's just a ninja an and and that's that's one thing by the way um, it's only doable if you do great work because then the people saying, "Well, this is this is crazy, great work, unpromoted." It's got it's, I've got to fix this. So, um, so that's why I want to. I don't know what to call it. Is a phrase I came up with. It. If you do, if you do good work and and you promote it, then you'll have one one promoter. If you do great work and don't promote it, you'll have a million promoters. And so that's another marketing. I theory that I came up with because of what I was doing. And I realized that I was working that if I said nothing, then I'll get a lot more people to, to, uh, step up and say it for me. And that's, that's the, um, uh, one other thing about, about, and it's that, by the way, I think is very much personality driven because I actually, I'm uncomfortable promoting anything. Um, and I just wouldn't do it myself. And it just kind of happened that way that, um, um, I'm, i you know, self-effacing or whatever is the right word. Um, so anyway, few anecdotes, M- main thing though, I think if I, if I just answer your question is to, yeah. to do what feels right to you, because at some point, even very short down the road, you'll find out that the, the doing what doesn't feel right will not be optimal you might think you're making a short term optimal decision by taking the biggest quote unquote opportunity. But in fact, if it doesn't feel right, you'll, you'll regret it. Mm -hmm. And that's, that's true. That's true in a lot of, you know, a lot of episodes of life, you know, Mm -hmm. choosing who your partner might be and so on. Um, and, and, and that's, that's, that's all I have on this.
0: Okay, cool. Well, You've said, a whole, there's a whole bunch of things I really want to just quickly touch on that you mentioned. So thank you. That was really very, very uh, uh, an interesting way. I hadn't actually thought about it quite from that angle. The um, in my in my own experience, I haven't started my own uh, endeavour exactly, unless you count this podcast and my website, Tech Distortion, as being such a thing. But uh, it's not how I make a living, so I don't think it falls into the same category as a Simco. Uh, so I've been more on the corporate side, watching corporations and, and so on, the likes of Boeing and uh, Nortel and you know, more recently uh, some consultancies and so on. So my perspective is slightly different, but uh, for the majority of our listeners, they're not going to be in control of large companies. So I think everything that you've just said is um, is probably going to be more relevant to the vast majority of the listeners. So uh, one of the things that I, I wanted to talk a little bit more about was that one one things you mentioned was that you made a conscious decision to, change, to take your focus away from consulting type of work and not to focus on uh, that specific area. And one of the things that you come across in business is uh, a mission statements. And sometimes these mission statements are rubbish, but good good mission statements will say things along those lines. They'll say, "You know, I am going to focus on this specifically." And it sounds a bit to me like, although it, you didn't actually write it down as a mission statement, it was essentially still at that guiding direction. It was a mission statement that you actually followed, and that that drove your focus and drove some of your success. Do you think that's reasonable?
1: Well, it turned out there was a mission. I just didn't know it until <laughs> I was well along in it. And that's the that's the trouble with mission statements. Is in some way they actually freeze the freeze you into doing that That's if true. you will um it, it, it i think one mission statement that would be lovely to hear would be we don't have we don't have a clue what our mission is um <laughs> yeah mm-hmm. because it's not a it's uh, you know it's 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 in, a, in a, it's in a facetious way but i would say maybe appropriate more appropriate would be like our mission is to learn what 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 our mission is sure um and and that would be That would be more of a rather there there are two two camps of thought, right? One is that you should be deliberate in your actions. How many times you've heard, you know, you're not going to start down the road until you have a plan. And some people are are, live their lives this way. You know, you make a plan when you're 20, and then you execute on it. Um, And um, I know one fellow who left Nokia, and he. He, he wanted to start his own business and his wife said, you know, I don't think you should do that until you worked out what the plan is. And, and, you know, and she would be the one to review that plan. And so they were, they were very careful about, you know, making sure they don't take the, the you know, they don't act, uh, you, you know, irresponsibly here. So there's that train of thought. But the other train of thought is that, you realize that whenever plans are made, actually, the, the, the first time you take a step in the direction of executing the plan, that it actually you learn something, and the plan becomes obsolete. So this is again why militaries will 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 do all kinds of planning and wargaming and 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 exercises, and then realize that the first contact with the enemy means that it all it all is for nothing. You know, they, 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 one of the most common phrases a soldier, a real soldier will, will tell you is that we didn't train for this. Mm-hmm. Right. So, so when you interview a soldier and after some battle and it says, we got into all these difficult situations for which we didn't train for. And, and, and they were led to believe that their training, which they went through in such an arduous way for such a long time was exactly what they needed to do because otherwise, why would you do it? Yeah. You know why would you go through this 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 you know painful process of learning all this uh, and 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 doing all these exercises if if you you, you weren't going to actually apply them? Mm-hmm. So th- that's the problem in general is that the deliberate plans are are often uh, destroyed by the first contact with the enemy. Sure. Um, and the alternative though is one where you're essentially saying well what we're going to have we're going to have a learning plan. Um, and that's very rare because people never want to admit that they don't know what they're doing. No. Um, in our, in most Western cultures, uh, even perhaps Eastern ones, admitting that you don't know what you're doing is is a is a is a gross uh, uh, faux pas or or admission of of, of incompetence. Yeah,
0: exactly. Um,
1: but but in fact, when you look at really what made successful companies. Uh, successful is that they they modeled along and they stumbled and they made errors and they learned or when you look at the way the scientific process works it's a continuous process of experimentation what is an experiment but a failure and then a a, a, a retest
2: mm-hmm. so
1: you, you're constantly trying to work it out by 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 trial and error yep. and um that's one thing that I would say, I don't know why, why it would be fashionable to have a mission statement, I guess because some people feel they have no guidance. Yeah. But the mission statement also forces you to sometimes uh, uh, become more rigid than you need to be. I, again, on the other hand, maybe mission statements are, are, are things which are thrown away. I think more important than the statement, though, is that there must be a cultural, and that's not usually written down, culture is rarely codified, but a cultural, um, a company culture, and here's the the thing about culture is that um, it's like I said. Firstly, it's unwritten. Secondly, it's how it's pervasive and powerful, and 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 it's passed along and it's it it disseminated between you know between employees in a very yeah. very powerful way. Culture is one of these instruments of society or or civilization or humanity or what have. You that that is that is astonishingly powerful Mm -hmm. and this is where leadership is needs to be very careful so if you're in a position to make a decision or to lead people you have to be very conscious of culture um and over and over again um when 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 you boil leadership down to its core elements it usually comes down to the leader was able to establish a certain culture um and so that's why. that's why i i would say the 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 what 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 you need generally is to have the principle that you're always learning yep. so maybe that's that's hard to write down i don't know yeah. but also to have uh have the notion that uh, you you know that um that there's you know the the humility aspect of it is that that you need to know you need to accept that, that things things there are things you don't know and sure. and um and, and be 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 careful with with the behavior you you can you know your behavior is going to set examples and and that's going to probably create all kinds of cultural consequences
0: mm-hmm. one of the uh, things that you brought up just about Uh, company culture and how it's passed on from not from a mission statement typically but from you know from people to people as they are hired and and as they you know come come and go from a company Uh, one of the things that i've observed which is um which can stray the focus of a company is the the boom to bust cyclic nature of the of of most industries to the point at which if you're during a boom cycle you bring on a lot of people Ah. very quickly and if you don't have good uh, a good strong culture in place that doesn't often get disseminated well to all the new employees and you get a dilution of the direction of the company where you want to go your core what, what the core business is what the core direction is of, of, of the group uh, tends to get diluted and uh, I find that working in companies during boom cycle boom time, boom uh, the point of the cycle that is in, in boom uh, can become more difficult because of that. Uh, have you ever come across that uh, situation?
1: Yeah the trouble is that you know we are such weak biological creatures that
0: yeah wow. tend
1: to be easily dissuaded by 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 our our our, our emotions and the uh the, the tendency is that when things are good that you have arrogance and then when things are bad that you have panic and and you know inflexibility and these are opposite to what, what our need, the world needs. The, the, the case in point is that when someone really, uh, is in trouble, uh, they panic. And that's a very strange thing to do. Right. And you know, some species, they don't do that. Um, in some species, when, 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 uh, when an animal is threatened, they might freeze, they might just freeze up and then not move. And that actually makes them harder to spot by a predator. Um, the opposite is, is 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 you know the animal that freaks out, runs around in in circles. They become actually an easier threat, uh, an easier uh, a target. target. And yeah. and so this is the weird thing about human behavior is that often at moments of crisis they need to behave the opposite way of the, the way they actually behave. And and moments of 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 success they also need to behave the opposite. And that's that's the tragedy. Um, and and so. We, we don't even have a mechanism to to uh to guide us at all i mean its it's the the, the so the- the classic example is when a company starts to have success like i said arrogance and hubris comes over over them and then they 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 think they're un, unbeatable uh but in fact usually at the times of great success is when you ought to be planning the the worst scenarios right this is yes. this this is the the fable of the 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 squirrel or whatever these the animal one one would store during the store nuts during the summer and the other one would would freely freely eat things and not not plan for the winter so you got to be out of phase by you know 180 degrees right so you've got to try to Work it out so that when you're, when you're prosperous, you're planning for a darker future. And when, you, when things are dark, you're actually, it's a contrarian view. Um, and, and again, some people use the contrarian method when, when, when investing in the stock market, when everybody's panicking. Famously, it was um, um, Warren Buffett who said, you know, be, be fearful when others are greedy and be greedy when others are fearful. Mm. Um, and, and so this is true in, in, in many, many cases in, in business. And um, and it's very hard because the problem with business in general, even if the individual is is wise in this regard, it's very hard when when the organization around her is just so caught up in the emotion of the of the moment and their voice will stand alone. And and that is why um, uh, that that is why large organizations have a hard time dealing with with dramatic change, because because you you don't have to just convince the the one person even if it, that person is the CEO the leader they they have to somehow um get buy-in quote unquote right that that's the that's yeah. the problem with, with large companies is that you you have to somehow get everybody agreeing and pull, pulling in the same direction and it's so hard to do and again this is comes back to culture and whether whether you can infuse in people the right behavior. So one thing by the way back to your first question, one of the decision points that you have as you grow as a business is whether you you preserve a certain organizational structure and this it yes. sounds a little bit a little bit mundane but this notion of being in a functional organization or being in a in a divisional organization or or something broken up into sort of separate sub-businesses and this is this actually comes to the core like for example when you look at apple versus other companies is that they internally are organized functionally and they're yet they're very large which is an uncommon combination
2: yeah.
1: um, and i think that i've 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 had this argument with some people who actually suggested that that they're they're it's not causative to say that functional organizations are more better equipped to deal with dramatic change and shifts mm-hmm. that they're not necessarily more agile but um but at the same time the only data i have is that at least in this space where apple is it's able to succeed and and self-disrupt more e- more easily because of it, the way it's organized so what that's, that's going to happen whenever the business grows and, and transitions from small to big is that they have to decide can they maintain a command and control structure and by the way that sounds a little bit to dramatic but can they con- con- create an incentive system right that's the euphemism for command and control <laughs> yeah. um, can, can they create the incentives and uh, and motivations that, that would work even though everyone is in a si- is is in a is in a functional silo yeah. Um, and I can go on and on about this, but yeah. but it, it, it's it's one of these these these, these uh, real issues about managing uh, the business and um, how to deal with with technical talent.
0: Yeah, and one of the things that you know you mentioned is the uh, the two different uh, perspectives of structures, organizational structures for a business, and that is something that I did want to touch on actually. So I'm glad you brought that up because. What I've found, based on my experience, is that it seems to me that whatever structure you tend to start with tends to be the one you're stuck with in the long term, going from ten years to twenty years and so on out. And changing that structure because of because getting all that buy-in and and driving that that cultural change—it's like no longer, for example, um, am I. Um, trying to keep my particular budget under control now i have a different set of priorities and a different set of reporting that i need to different management managers i need to report to and that sort of uh, structural churn in an organization is can set an organization's back uh, significantly and sometimes Mm -hmm. i think there's a a a big a huge impact and people just it's like oh let's change our structure to be more like company blah whoever's successful at the moment and you know you mentioned apple so they qualify so let's be more like apple and suddenly everything will work out and it worries me when people when when organizations say all we have to do is change the structure and suddenly everything will be fine i think that's a gross simplification
1: yeah no it's so true because organizational change is almost as if it's some sort of religion Mm -hmm. that that happened and reorg 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 and i went through this it was is a ritual at Nokia where we, there was a reorg every year. Oh dear. Uh, sometimes more often than that, um, it was announced usually uh, right around the summer holidays, which are in Finland are in July, and uh, so everybody goes off for about a month out in the woods in the countryside or uh, <laughs> somewhere for. That's very, very it's not an exaggeration. Literally, that happens, and if you're okay. in the office in July. It, it, it's it's absolutely um, very cool. Deserve d- Wow! But it, it it it's um. It it was such that there would be a, a summer party, and so this was a company-wide thing. And then everybody would go to some you know open field where where the, there would be a few announcements made. And usually the the um, I think the announcements were made after the holiday was over, so people could enjoy their holidays, and then they'd come back, and then there'd be a reorg announced this in a specific reorg and, and, you know, it kind of was comical in a way because why, why do you need to actually reorganize so often? And it was a way be, I think the, the, the logic of it was that you, you, you had a weak control system overall you couldn't align people and get them to keep working in that direction for a long time. So in order to, in order to get anything done, you would have to shake things up. And so, so it's as if, you know, you literally, you you rattled a cage to get the animal agitated. Hmm. And, um, and then, you know, if, 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 if if they slow down during the year, you rattle the cage again. And that's just a really lousy control system, right? You know, instead of getting, getting the, the, the animal out of the cage, letting them, uh, uh, whatever, give them some, some reward system and then tell, give them a task to do. So so that's the trouble is that, again, it's symptomatic of something deeper, of yeah. of a failure to create the right motivation for the company. Now, yes. the thing about motivation, and, and often people equate money with motivation, and so many studies have been done or show that money is partially motivating. It's actually sort yeah. of hygienic a in a way. It's
0: one component. Yeah. yeah.
1: And so there's a lot more ways of doing it, and... and the curious thing is how, um, again, if you have an organization where money is actually difficult to 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 attach to a task, and 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 again, I have to go back to Apple because Apple has got this weird structure where there's only one profit and loss statement, and that's for the whole company. Yeah. And if you prefer, if you apply a profit and loss to a division, then that you can get people aligned and more marching in a direction. And but they also tend to over-optimize along that dimension, and they also end up competing with other divisions when it may not be in the interest of the company for, for that to happen. So this is why, in fact, they're more vulnerable to disruption because the dominant the dominant P&L, P&L would actually stifle the emergent P&L, which might actually be the one that, that needs to happen. Um, and so case in point, Windows. I mean, Windows is such a dominant P&L at Microsoft that they couldn't allow a let's say a unix or linux or something internal that would be more mobile friendly to emerge and actually take root onto a device direction you know yeah. and that's just was not permitted um, and so so that's that's why if if you if you control things at the top in one person or in one office or in one department and that, that the, all the decisions are made for the whole company and that's that's a very very that would allow these things Like one day you say, you know, I think we got to deprecate this and we got to boost that That's fine. It gets done But the, the problem is to get the people at the bottom to get motivated because they don't see the big picture They don't get a chance to no. say I see an opportunity to improve yeah, or they motivate, don't have that you visibility know. Right, they don't have a visibility and so, whereas when you created a trickle-down incentive system around one P&L That's hmm. more divisional People are saying, you know, I think we should attack, you know, this market, or I think we should optimize by being more in Czechoslovakia or something like that,
2: mm-hmm. uh,
1: Czech Republic, uh, and and so you you get into this this uh, th- 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 this idea that people suddenly have the the means by which they can optimize, but they're not just a lowly soldier in the in the in the trench. So that's where where it's the reason you get the lowly soldier in the trench motivated to fight this is the question right this is you, you the human, uh, he might fight because he thinks that that uh, he, he he's gonna get a reward or he might fight that he thinks he's gonna save himself from 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 death or he might fight because he thinks that there's a greater cause and this is where i think where the again culture comes into play i think the the only way Apple could operate the way it operates is because most people who work there actually feel like they're on a mission, and that they're on the mission that that the the founder instilled in, in the company. Yes, and um and that that's weird. It really is weird, and that, I think actually that's why a lot of Apple has a lot of detractors because they just think that that is weird, and they don't want they they are
0: repulsed by it. It's so unusual that I think the feeling is, how could that work? And yet it works.
1: Yeah. Well, it, it, but it's also creepy in a way because it's like, <laughs> who wants to be in a cult? And, 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 and it, it extends beyond the people inside to actually the users and so on and so on. But you see, there's two sides. There's two points of view. There's this point of view that, that Apple is, is, is this maniacal focus and, 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 and vision. It may not be for everybody, but there's a whole lot of people who really treasure it. And so that means that, you know, it's not a mass market phenomenon, but it might actually be a very good business model. And it's a very good operational model, even though they may never be able to become um, as efficient as other companies are, um, as as agile as other companies are, or as optimal as other companies are. But that doesn't matter, because you see, uh, every time that comes up and saying, why aren't we doing more in the Czech Republic, people would say, you know, that's not our mission, our mission is to, you know, make insanely great products. And so that's the, that's, that's again, one of these decisions you have to make. And this is the, this is a fundamental decision. There are companies which are so weak that they don't even understand that the decision is be, is necessary to be yeah, made. They're exactly. just moving, moving completely randomly without guidance. They're just pulled. It's like, you know, like an what is the word the ouija U- 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 board? It's some you know people whose hands are on this thing that they're yeah, trying ouija to move it. Yeah. Ouija board, or or you know like a in in a scrum in 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 rugby or something yeah, like yeah. that. You know, it's like all these people pushing at the same time, and somehow some the the whole mob goes in some random direction. Yeah. That's how most companies feel, and all that a manager does is you know he's standing on top of them, cracking the whip, trying to get them to move maybe in some direction, but he. Or she doesn't know what the right direction is. They're actually as important to the mob as as any one element in it. So mm-hmm. that's this is where you have this this whole notion. And, and many companies actually, because they know that, they actually hire strategy people as if somehow these are the these are the the magicians that are yeah. going to help them figure out what way to go. But mm-hmm. they, they tend to only throw out a lot of data, and then that the people look at the data and say. They don't know what questions to ask about the data. You see, yeah. that's the that's the that's the other thing. Is big data doesn't offer you answers, um, big or small data. So many times the, the 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 sample you need is, a, is a, of n equals one. Um, the one anomaly to the whole data is the really the important clue as to what the breakthrough should be. So there there, there is no panacea. There's no answer in business that comes from the the, the a process or a a uh, uh, i would say either the data is nothing more than an instance yep. of a way of solving complexity and 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 you know the 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 ones who who you hire you know process um or or management consultants will preach a certain process and they'll say well this is the best way yeah. to to move forward and mm-hmm. It turns out that none of them really have the answer because if they did, they wouldn't be consultants. Yeah, well, uh, They would be exactly
0: the, the, operating the thing, managers. Absolutely, and the d- data to me is essentially, it's a photograph. It's, this is what it currently looks like, but what it can't do is it can't tell you where you need to go, and it, it can't tell you where you need to focus. It can tell you where you've been and maybe where you are now, but, you know, the direction that you set... It, it, where you want to yeah, go. Yeah, and
1: I'll give, I'll give one example which sure. actually was brought to me and that, that's if you look at Google and Google is probably the company that thinks mostly that it can solve the world through the scientific method. Yeah. The scientific method being that you collect enough data, you do the, the correlative analysis, perhaps causal analysis and then you identify what you need to do and, and if that were the case and they think that, that, you know, that that can certainly improve a lot of things. Like I think their their breakthrough in advertising Um, shows that there's more value to doing analysis on on behavior of of users than it is just by throwing a dart. But in the case of strategy, notice the trouble that Google has had. I mean, Google needed to move from search to, to several new places. And one of the places You you think of Android as a great success, but there was not a a move into a direction that said, like, we're going to create a new business. Because Android does not generate business, it only sustained their current business and protected them against being bumped off the the devices that would be most popular in the world. Uh, Potentially, it could have been Windows devices, in which case they could have been essentially out of the business of providing search on on mobile devices.
0: Yeah, it was a protective measure.
1: It was definitely a protective measure. So what really new pie is that new markets developed around around social media, and that's Facebook. So, so why didn't Google move and become the next big if, – if Google had been doing a strategic planning correctly, they would have initially seen – Social media is the the next big thing and yeah. the next source of of revenue and the next source of usage, the next source of engagement, and everything else and they would have done it early enough so that Facebook wouldn't have gotten the traction they did now the and it 's too late now i mean they figured it out, but they figured it out after someone proved to them that yeah. that, that was a great business so here 's one one important data point: they were watching the the search terms. They were watching every single thing that people were doing online. They had the data. They had all the data about the, the the importance of social media to people's lives. They knew how Facebook was rising. They knew everything, how, what, what people were doing with it. So why didn't they act? Because again, the management didn't have the taste in, in terms of, uh, uh, understanding the problems or the questions to be asked. If, if 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 someone would have come to them with like you know here's the trends we're observing they would still need to pull the trigger and say you know I think search is gonna I mean I think social is gonna be big we need to go there and they they they, they didn't have that instinct to go in that direction no. um, I always say that it's harder to ask questions than answer them you have to know what questions to ask of the big data right
2: mm-hmm. um,
1: and, and that's why that's an example where where Having all the information in the world wouldn't didn't help uh, didn't help Google, and I think also the, the question of did they anticipate how maybe Android would evolve over time because they were starting to lose control over Android uh, to the point where where the fastest growing variants of Android don't have any Google Google services on them. Yeah. That's um right. and, and and that's another really, really interesting problem. Hang on, these are the smartest guys in the world. <laughs> they have all the data in the world and and they're inventing things all the time. Why can't they see what what others find obvious? So, you know, that's where where you ask yourself about the the the, 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 the you know, were they counting too much on the silver bullet of big data you know giving them the answers they were they wanted and there's been other examples where where data has led people astray mm-hmm. but um that's yeah. just one example
0: that is a very good example i uh, i just need to quickly uh, um talk about our sponsor and then there's a couple more points that i want to cover and then we'll wrap up uh so about wet frog studio selling a business or an app is a lot like selling a house you can take a huge amount of time and money redecorating and bringing the house up to scratch and modernizing it you can take great photos and build a website showing off that house but there's there's one thing missing one piece missing that can stop buyers from ever walking through the front door and that's curb appeal the old saying goes don't judge a book by its cover but frankly most of us do and some and people do the same with business logos, app icons, and books, and these days ebooks. Without some curb appeal, people won't usually take the time to check out what's inside, and all your hard work could go unnoticed. Now, you might have seen uh, that the show recently got a fresh coat of paint. The new artwork is the result of working with Aaron over at uh, Wet Frog Studios, and I can't recommend him highly enough. Remember the awesome icon Drafts had uh, for the first couple of years? Aaron designed that. He also designed the branding of 512pixels.net, minimalmac.com uh, and also 70 decibels and there's lots and lots of others he's also uh, been involved with so if you're looking to add some curb appeal aaron can help you and what i really enjoyed working what i really enjoyed about working with aaron was the fact that he, re- he took the time up front to understand what i was looking for and he responded very very quickly whenever i had questions and tweaks to the design and frankly i actually he understood well enough up front that there were hardly any tweaks that i needed to do it was that good out of the blocks So as a special offer, just for pragmatic listeners, Aaron is offering his app icon and logo design service at half price. That's 50% off, and that's an amazing deal to get access to a professional of Aaron's caliber and experience. There are plenty of other graphics designers out there that can give you something good, but Aaron will take the time to make you something great. So visit wetfrogstudios.com slash pragmatic to get in touch and take advantage of this amazing deal while it still lasts. And again, a big thank you to Wet Frog Studios for sponsoring Pragmatic. Now, one of the other things I want to talk about, Horace, is to do with, as a in your own experience with a Simcoe, there's always going to be a subset of tasks that you decide for whatever reason because either A, they're not your area of expertise or B, perhaps they're... And the tasks are certainly administrative enough in nature that you can outsource that and so that you're not burdened with doing all of it. And exa- common examples of things like that are uh, things like accounting. Uh, some people will manage their own books in, with um, Myob or uh, QuickBooks or you know, there's a whole bunch of different software out there. And mm-hmm. um, yeah, it, it's it, things like, uh, if I'm going to make business cards, I'm not going to buy a, a pack of 100 uh, card, pieces of card and feed them one by one into my printer so i'm going to outsource that as well i mean those are yeah pretty simple examples but i'm curious because one of the things that i think that's critical in getting our heads around what people's what, what core business really is is defining what parts of your business you can carve out and subcontract mm. and give to other people so i'm curious about yeah. your thoughts on that
1: yeah that's a great question the the what is core and what isn't in fact that is often a moving target because we've seen uh we've seen fashions in this regard come and go uh we've had for a while companies were conglomerates uh 1970s it was very common that that companies would do all kinds of unrelated things and in retrospect it sounds insane why would one company be a hotel company and then at the same time owned a division that manufactured uh, ceiling tiles um, and another one that built curtains and another one that built, uh, you know, cable on the water, you know, cables. It's crazy, but that indeed was very common. And, and then the, the, the trend was violently swang, swung in the other direction uh, to companies saying, no, 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 you need to find your core competency and just outsource everything else. And outsourcing was a was a huge process um, a process uh, uh, um, uh, um, i guess a, a, a revolution yes. and and many companies made a lot of money uh supposedly uh outsourcing everything and and um and and in in some ways actually now we're seeing uh, a big a big move in the other direction where where at least amongst technology companies we're seeing a lot more insourcing happening yeah. for for crazy uh things like you know just today we were hearing about Google uh cars so here's Google a search company building cars <laughs> yeah, No, know. not just you know not not, not just prototype uh like building the systems for a car but the actual car itself yeah and we'll see whether they they go into mass production or not but but you know on microsoft buying nokia is crazy that would have been un, unheard of buying any hardware company unheard exactly. of and even before they bought it they were making their own tablets in competition with their with their licensees so there's a lot of back and forth in that in that and the same company one decade will be doing core and the next decade will be doing uh um um, you know, vertical integration. And and, and and again, I think it's partly driven by by conditions outside the control of the company. Like I think in the 70s, a lot of the conglomerate stuff had to do with, uh, it was a slow growth time. There were certain issues with, with interest rates or, or regulation or whatever. And it, it just seemed like that was the right idea. Um, and those conditions may change. Now, what we're seeing with with technology is that again we're seeing more of reintegration and that companies need to have in house skills to do a lot of um a lot of things that that yeah for example uh the, i I found this out recently that Google even has its in house have brought in house uh advertising people mm. so that it has its own essentially its own ad agency that does its own t v spots I didn't so know that. that so so that's that's amazing because not even apple does that apple still uses outside talent for for um outside agencies for for advertising so when you whenever you see a video done a a google commercial it's actually done in-house um and and so there's these there are these questions why would you do that but the i don't know if there's a right or wrong answer i i find it that in most cases, companies do these things purely on a tactical reasoning. Sure. So they would say, you know, I I just didn't like the result of using an outsourced company. And so I'm going to, we're going to just do it ourselves. The alternative is like, oh, we have all these people who seem not to be pulling their weight. Why wouldn't it be more efficient? And wouldn't we save money if we pushed that job outside? And so these these are decisions which are made on, on, Almost like you know, whimsical reasons. Yeah, hang that's on. not a really what good is, way of running
0: is, your business, though. Surely, I mean, yeah, think... yeah, exactly. So,
1: but because we don't have a theory, you see, that's mm-hmm. the reason we don't have a great theory that explains to us that the causes of of success and failure in a particular uh, um, uh, work. So, let's say if the, if the, if we're looking at advertising. We don't have a great theory to understand how advertising works. So, so let, let's say you're Google and, 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 and you're trying to make commercials and you're, you're, you're confused because of a lot of things. Firstly, your product is different than anybody else's. Your market position is different than everybody else's. No one knows how to advertise or promote your, your particular idea because no one even understands it. Yeah. And so you can't go outside and spend all your time explaining to someone, this is what we're trying to achieve. In fact, you probably don't even know yourself what you're trying to achieve. Yep. Most ad agency people will tell you that the client doesn't know what they want. <laughs> so so, so and, and in this case, it's not even the deepest needs that you can un- uncover because you don't have deep needs. You don't know what they are. Yeah. Uh, so so that there's this whole discussion of, of the, the, but look, you know, so, so you could develop Ethereum says that, that in general. Advertising is about uncovering the, uh, the, the the core job to be done, presenting it to, to, to the audience in a, such a way that that they connect with it emotionally, plus intellectually, plus logically and so on and and so you're trying to convey you know the principles of Aristotle in terms of rhetoric and blah blah blah. You could do all that and then and then um, uh, you, you know it, it just doesn't exist that theory cannot be specifically applied broadly. Yeah. And, and, and so this is why I think it, when you get to a theory that's actually pretty valid, like let's say there is a job of um, um, designing, uh, let's say logos, you just mentioned that yeah. one job. And that is a simple enough problem to define Right? It's not a simple thing to do, but I'm just saying to say we need a logo is a simple enough concept and, and, and saying we need that logo once. We don't need a logo every month. No. Therefore, it doesn't make sense to have an internal logo designer. Exactly. But it, it, so, so we need a logo once, maybe a, every decade. And so it's clear that that's a job for an outside person to do. Mm-hmm. And they, 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 they get the chance to do hundreds of work, pieces of work, and they get better at it as they do it. And therefore, it's, it's, it makes sense to have that be um, an outside function. Yes. Um, it's not so clear when things are in the in the middle that you do commercials. You don't do them every every day, but you might you might need to have a creative team on the in, inside. So, mm-hmm. I'm I'm I, again I wish I could give an answer to this.
0: Sure.
1: Um, generally, um, it comes down to simply people asking the economic question. Doesn't make sense from a cost structure basis. Sure. Well, but I- it's not I- ideal
0: yeah absolutely and but you raised a very good point is that how how often those people will actually be effectively generating uh, revenue well not generating revenue I suppose, but uh, being effective and useful i mean if a person's idle time is uh, thirty days out of every thirty one days in a month then that's not a good utilization of that resource so why would you bring on that person you know to to do advertising if you only need them to do one person day's worth? Uh, of work every month. That economically doesn't make sense. And so that's definitely where I think you have to start. Absolutely. But one of the other things that I've noticed, because I've been, I've been dealing looking at this for years, is it's a, I think a lot of it is driven by the need for control and perhaps more of a perceived need for control. And the issue that a lot of companies face is as soon as you outsource a certain capability to someone else then they, the money that you pay them gives them the ability to build up their own capability that they can then on-sell to other people. And, and in theory, that sounds fine because that means that then they're refining their, their capabilities and that will make them better at what they do and hence, in theory, better at serving you because you're not hopefully their only client. But it, there's an interesting case recently um, that involves Apple where that's sort of, to some extent, a little bit backfired um, with uh, with Samsung, because I see that from the outside looking in, of course, I haven't worked for either company, but based on everything that I can tell, and there's a prevailing theory out there that I've read, that Apple, because Samsung are a primary supplier and have been for years, perhaps less so recently, that Samsung learned a lot about what they're doing uh, by doing work for Apple to Apple standards and so on. And that that's given them... Uh, a leg up, as it were, for them to build their own uh, smartphone ecosystem with the Galaxy series and so on.
1: yeah, in fact, um one of um, James Allworth and I have this discussion a, a while back about and and this there's a theory that suggests that as you outsource more and more, not just your assets but also your your processes of, are are transferred to someone else, and they simply learn all of the things they need to do accept what you consider to be core and eventually they'll get that too yeah. uh, or you know they'll they'll finally jump and become your biggest competitor and often they'll 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 actually beat you mm-hmm. and that has been a process the, the outsourcing process has been nothing more than this this asset and, and knowledge transfer from uh from the incumbents to the entrants, and so that's been that is indeed a disruption by outsourcing if you will yes and um it is a dangerous road to follow and and in fact in the latest discussions about you know capitalist uh, dilemma which is just talked about it uh, recently on on my on my uh, on my podcast Ca- yes. critical path and also on on uh, on my blog it's that the 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 tendency is that once you you are successful that you you tend to optimize and that means shedding a lot of things that you think are are dead weight but actually they they turn out to be the they turn out to be the real core and um again it 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 would be easy to suggest that that simply don't do that and and just stick to your to to doing exactly the same things the way you've always done them that also doesn't seem to work because because you are rigid and you don't you are not actually able to move into the next opportunity comfortably if you have so much so much baggage around so so uh th- th- there is always this tug of war between saying well are you are you losing the things which make you valuable while at the same time if you didn't lose those things, do you have the agility to create the new things that are actually moving toward the goal is, is or the the puck is going to be? So I think there's an there's a there's a there isn't a simple answer. No. Um, in in there are loads of examples in both in both cases, and I think the in the example in 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 the Apple case and Samsung is that yes, Samsung has taken on um some of the core value uh of of smartphones because they were a supplier and um and and the 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 thing that they were missing the operating system and the, essentially the ecosystem was was is now is now google's uh, thing now will samsung take that for itself at some point in the future and actually become a fully integrated player that offers the same Truly, the same—not just the look and and, and 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 familiarity with with an iPhone, but rather actually becoming a, a complete system solution. And uh, that is that is uh, that is a crucial question because, on one hand, software is actually very distinct and different than everything else. And by the time you do tool up in that area, you might actually be facing a completely new world in terms of where the Value and you you got system software, but that doesn't mean that that's where the value is going to be. You don't have services, or you don't have the data that 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 Google is able to accumulate. So it's a moving target, and I I don't know if I have a good answer to this. I myself, I have, I think I'm pretty conflicted about it. <laughs> I think on the other hand, Apple, Apple also, you see how Apple has done a lot of vertical integration. They got into retail. Which, which normally you would think is an obvious thing to outsource. Why would you want to be in the, in the yeah. sale and distribution of your products? But they felt they needed to do that because they needed the customer interaction and the discovery process to happen on their controlled environment, so that yeah. the customer could be the, presented this product in the best way possible, and also the brand and all that other stuff. So it was a brilliant move to go into retail. Very asymmetric zigging when everybody else was zagging yeah. at the same time they they spend loads of money in, in in capital equipment and manufacturing which they don't own per se the factories but they own a lot of the equipment that goes into those factories to the tune of 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 you know 10 to 12 billion dollars a year which is on the level of, of what an intel might spend on capital equipment which is a very very expensive type of equipment mm-hmm. Uh, fabs are are billion dollar you know uh, facilities, mm-hmm. um, and then you have you have uh, so Apple is in a way moving into selected areas outside of its core, which is you know engineering and design, and going into retail, going into manufacturing, going into uh, distribution and um, and also going into being a service company with with iTunes and uh, services like iCloud and so on. So they' they' they're actually a weird company that they they don't make their own microprocessors, but they have a microprocessor, design uh, uh, facility in, in in-house. They don't make their own uh, uh, their their own manufacture their, their own products, but they have designers who are basically, geniuses about material and, and process of manufacturing, that they think about every single piece of that manufacturing process while they design the product. Yes, uh, This came out when you listen to Johnny Ive all the time, that they're like obsessive about how the thing is built as much as they are, are about how it looks. Sure. So so and that's a, that is a very, very high level in the organization. And, and so... In, in some ways, what what Apple does is that they, they know the touch points in all of this matrix of things and functions and and, uh, and things that need to get done where they need to control and then where they don't need to control. And sometimes they they make uh, a switch and they say, OK, that is an area where we should control. And I think that, that this is the the case in point and the pain point for them, for example, is Maps. Now, Maps is under under underanalyzed. People just have judgments on it. They say yeah. it's good or it's bad. That's true. But it turns out that maps and, and big data of that kind, these geolocation data, it's a process of constant constant improvement because the data, you realize that one thing I learned, for example, is that both companies probably sourced from thousands of suppliers. There are lots of people who put out some pieces of that data. Yes. And and then you layered over on top of each other. So you 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 may not get very good data if you're an Apple about the neighborhood you're in 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 India. But if 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 they were to somehow be able to source that data locally, they might they might they might be able to catch up. But the problem might be that that local supplier has an exclusive deal, and so Google is 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 locked in. And so the other thing that might happen, for example, is that I once read how uh, the The data was available, but it needed to be massaged in a way to make it fit. Yes. So it had to be, uh, it had to be uh, um, tagged and 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 cleaned and error corrected and all that other stuff. and And that was done in a hugely manual process, hugely labor intensive process in India. Uh, where where literally like thousands of people were involved in cleaning data for for Google, and so Google made the commitment that that they needed to be. You know, you'd think that Google is like, oh, they're just algorithms people, but they decided that the maps were so important that they needed to be in the in the data collection, data filter, and and you know, not just collecting like these Google cars, but actually being able to. To, or synthesizing the data if you will but are actually pulling all these sources and suppliers together and getting the data cleaned up and in order to do that it was very labor intensive so you needed a, you know huge numbers of, of people employed to do it mm. um, and and you don't think that maps is a sort of a sweatshop problem and it turns out that maps is a sweatshop problem so so you make that decision about uh, being being in that business, um, which by the way, Nokia got into by buying Navtech for eight billion dollars, <laughs> yeah. and at the time when they did that in two thousand and seven, Google was nowhere in yeah. maps. Google didn't have a great business and now when 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 Apple would be attacked for its failure to have great maps, well, they went from zero to having a map system within a couple, you know like a year, and they probably did what normally would have taken five years in one year, and still they're far behind because Google has had you know, seven, eight years. Yeah. Yeah. And so, so, so what the question is, can you even measure? And no one can, because really this system is so big that everybody's experiences are different. So you're just getting a couple of anecdotes. And, and so, so Google's, Google is, is a moving target. They're great, getting better all the time, but Apple's getting better all the time. So everybody's wondering, well, well, what's the, what's the real gap between them? Yeah. Um, and, and so when you're at, one is at ninety percent, and you're at sixty percent. Then there's a big gap. But what if you're, you know, they're at ninety-nine, and you're at ninety? Is that a significant delta? Yeah. Or, or you know, and and that's that's how that's how that's how difficult this becomes. Uh, it's an arms race, and 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 the commitment level needed. I think it's like on the billions of dollars a year scale.
0: Yeah, and Google decided that they were going to put that money up front and, and they decided this is a core of what we want to deliver as an experience to uh, to our users because uh, navigation is a massive, massive part of, uh, of daily lives, especially in, in city environments where the city is always growing and changing and people need to get around Whereas, you know, Apple, I think, was more of a case, we'll, we want to can evolve our maps, but Google has hamstrung us, so we can't, therefore, we're going to have to develop our own solution. Yeah, so, so
1: the, you know, and, and the decision to go into maps, and that actually, it goes back, and I think when, when Steve Jobs actually thought about it back in 2005, 6, 7, when they were launching the iPhone, is like mm-hmm. he probably thought, first, got to get a great experience on the phone, uh, second, we got to get a you know good battery life. Third, we got to get a good screen. Fourth, you know, probably maps was like twentieth on his list. Yeah, um, and like so that. he would say, you know, we can't worry about it. We'll worry about maps later. Mm-hmm. And so, um, and especially when when at the same year that that was happening, by the way, NAFTA got bought by by Apple, and there were a couple other companies like TomTom and others who who were in the map space, but they were basically it was a data mm-hmm. business. And uh, and Google was nowhere really. So actually, Apple doing a deal with Google was 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 a was a mutually beneficial thing to do. Yes. And it so the the but fast forward a couple of years, and then Google says, "Look, you know, we're not going to give you uh, the, the the navigation part of, of of Google Maps, which is turn by turn navigation." and Apple must have been like. You got to be kidding me, right? Yeah, exactly. uh, y- you know, do we? It, and so that, that their, their hand was forced in a way, and what they did to respond was reasonable, I think. To sort of, well, what did they do? Buy it from Nokia, or or you know, like Microsoft did, um, and and then you still don't have as good a product as you think you might be able to do on your own. So they they turned it over to their own team and they worked worked their asses off, and I think they for given knowing how hard it is it's kind of i respect what they did but at the same time you you have to say that it's not as good as what people became accustomed to having and then and then so they got dinged a lot for the quality of the product um i gotta say though having if you have apple maps and nothing else as an alternative it's an amazing system if you have apple maps versus google maps you might sort of scratch your head Mm. but the, the the still you my you know it depends where you are but in my in my experience actually map Apple Maps has turned out to be very very useful um, and and I find some of the latest parts of Google Maps to be the, its user interface and so on are actually a bit cumbersome and who knows it, it, you know I'm I my my opinion counts for nothing but it's <laughs> it's just it's just that. This is this is this is the this is the kind of thinking you have to do. This is I think much more of a tactical decision mm. about how to improve the product, but it's like the core decision is like almost what jobs did, really. And I think that's the that was the right decision, is that you prioritize in the beginning having a great experience. Whereas Nokia at the same time, remember that they were buying this asset for seven, eight billion dollars, the NAFTEC asset, they were not paying attention to the user experience. They said we need to control the data in the map system because that's a great business, yeah. and they were right about that. But being wrong about the user experience on the device, which Jobs prioritizes number one, caused the whole business to implode. So you had to have great maps, hmm. but the phone doesn't even the phone business is gone. Yeah. And so, in a way, that you could say, well, Apple is a great phone business now; it's the core of the business, and they have a mediocre or let's say, you know, not not ideal maps thing. Well. You can always improve maps because you've got you've got you know so much profit from the phone business that you can actually nurture the maps. And it's another thing that's weird about maps, if it could be solved with money alone, Apple has more money than anybody. So why don't they fix that? No, it turns out mm. you know, some no, it's not, partly not a priority, but it's a partly it's a matter of time and the fact mm. that you kinda of always get the data that you need that yes. somebody's locked it up. And so it's kinda of like content business in a way. Okay. So um, anyway, that, that there's there's a lot of this stuff about discussion, that, and I think most commentators will will jump on one or two little threads of of, of thinking, and then you have to understand that it's a complex system, and there are many many threads. Causality is hard to prove, <laughs> um, and and most people simply observe correlations, sure. and and that's 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 really where. Uh, the, the trouble, I guess, is <laughs> who is it? I don't know. If, I forget who said this. Is, you know, the trouble with the world is that that uh, fools are sure of themselves, and and wise wise men are are are, are so so uncertain. So yeah. it's kind of like it, 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 you you need to be one of the wise people because the the ultimately they, they they'll make things happen, and um, and they'll be the ones who get rewarded. But still. Um, it's, it, it may feel uncomfortable and not very popular when you do it.
0: Mm-hmm. Absolutely. There's one more um, thing I want to circle back to before we wrap up. And it's, uh, you mentioned Apple Retail. And I think that that is a perfect example of the, a decision to change the focus of uh, what, what, co- what the core business was uh, for Apple. And um, it wasn't so much, I think, a change in, um, suddenly, we see this differently. It's more of an extension of their existing philosophy of wanting to create the best possible experience. So, one of the aspects of that best possible experience is the purchasing and support experience, and that's something that was being they felt that they were being let down in by third-party uh, external retailers. So, they decided to take control, and that's that that desire to be in control. But they chose something that was in alignment. Although, as a, as it was, it was an extension of their existing um, their existing focus, so the way I the way I tend to look at it when you've got to make a decision like that is thinking about uh, the consequence of putting an investment into something like a retail chain. That's an enormous investment. I mean, I think I think there's about half of Apple's employees are actually in retail. Mm. It's, yeah, it's quite significant so that 's a massive investment, and that 's not not to mention the uh, the physical infrastructure so it 's if I make an investment, what do I get significant reward and of course the the converse of that is if i if I choose not to if there 's a lack of investment, then what is the penalty for doing that and I think that what Apple observed was that by not investing in the retail side of things and tailoring the experience the way they wanted to tailor it and providing great support they were leaving that up to a random group of different companies and for those that were around before apple stores will know that it was a tiny little nook and cranny down the back of a computer shop that was usually covered in a layer of dust so hmm.
1: yeah that's that's th- th- this was an act of absolute you know incredible vision i think to, for them to do this although I'm, I'm sure at the time they were thinking um that it was it was an intuitive decision uh that it was almost a necessary decision because um, the the I don't think they did the numbers if they had done the numbers in 2001 or or so when they launched the stores I th- I'm sure they all would have been uh, uh it was it would have been appalling and, and that's why they got criticized so much because those who knew the numbers were you know said this is not going to work mm-hmm. um, but but the, the because again they thought uh, the logic of the store was about providing they, they, it, 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 it's the core of the business. They realized that these products they make are so wonderful, but people can't discover them. If they can't discover them, they'll, they 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 you know they can't buy them. And why can't they discover them? Because because they're they're not featured in the right prominent position, and there's no one there who can explain the product. So you just have this conversation, and it sort of follows a, a logical causal link. A, you know, it's like I, I, it's just like asking five whys, at least five whys. Uh, so so you you won't get to the to the cause of something, the foundational cause, until you've asked the the the, the final why question. Um, and and sometimes the, the the path of whys may may be wrong, and you have to know which path to take. So this is why um, th- th- this is a, a method, for example, to analyze like why well, there's a the, you, you observe an anomaly, you observe something unusual, let's say, and and so you ask why, and then somebody gives a, a simple answer. Um, I it was, it was just reminded of of an example just today. I was on. Um, it was in my Twitter feed. I'm trying to see if I can remember it. But um, uh, just sorry, I, I, yeah, I can't fine. see it just now. Um, uh, yeah, so yeah, there it is. So I asked the question of uh, this Eddie Cue thing uh, and, and Craig, Craig Federici about why, um, why Apple TV, why you can't use Apple TV to 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 play apps Mm -hmm. to run apps and and so it's a it seems like a simple question and the answer might be simple thought of as a simple thing so somebody tweeted back and said it's easy because there's no ui for apple tv to, to 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 and there's no controller but that doesn't satisfy so the the question ought to be deeper then well why isn't there a ui because you have the right hardware you have the connection to the internet you have a connection to an app store or or content store at least, and then you have you have all the ingredients there, right? And you know you can build a different UI. You know you can build a different controller. And you know you can build a different receiver on the device, either Bluetooth or infrared, that it can capture some of the interaction of the human body. You know that because it exists. It exists in the form of Connect from Microsoft. It exists with the with the new game consoles. So why didn't Apple do this? And then the the answer would be well because they, they, you uh, know, I believe that you know the the, 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 you know, the, um, the, the product couldn't be sold at a certain price point. So then you ask the question: Well, why couldn't you give the product away and and have it be linked to content in terms of like like you know the Kindle is? Mm-hmm. And so you 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 know, why don't you build a business model that's more appropriate for that environment? And 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 so so the, the, this this question and 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 answer process repeatedly gets you to some root causality and saying fundamentally let's say for the apple tv just for the sake of argument with the, the apple tv you reach the the, the end the terminus, to the end the point of your discussion where it says essentially that look tv is fundamentally broken as a business because that you have you have uh, uh content creators who are high cost who who need, therefore, high revenue from advertising and, and distribution deals. And because those distribution distributors don't want to release control for for, for syndication to, to, to the dig- digital distributors, then the content will never show up. So you, you realize you come down to this core problem, and then you realize that to solve that problem, you need to actually go to the content creators directly and ask them, please make content for our digital digital channel you, mm-hmm. you know and and abandon completely working with with the current network and then you realize that those people who are already established and vested in the current system cannot hop to your 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 invitation but those who maybe are not vested yet might because they have a long f- process to to join the vested system and so so you you start to reach out to those individuals and find out what motivates them and so on and so on so you start with the simple question why doesn't Apple TV uh, run apps and then you end up with with a discussion of how to motivate talented young filmmakers <laughs> and that, that that's why i think that this discussion when when you come came at the core of of what what apple had to solve as as a as a company in 2001 it said firstly we're in the we're in the computer business, but we might get into the device business because look what's happening to Moore's Law. Look what's happening to devices that we see possible. Mm -hmm. It was already the 90s had proven that devices were going to come up, not just as phones, but as PDAs and tablets already. there There were some of these in the marketplace at the time, and Apple would have had them in their labs, and they knew what they were what they were facing in terms of the technology roadmaps. And so as they see the world shaping up into a more de- de- device business, so, so then, then Steve Jobs will realize that there's no way to sell device, there's no way to sell devices through the dusty corner in, the, in, the, in an existing store, and that do- that device would need to be showcased in, 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 in his own v- vision of that interaction. And so, and so that led him to think that we need to build our own uh, stores probably five to seven years before actually those devices would reach the market that was the crucial that was the leap that he took is that even though in the beginning it helped sell max the long term play was about devices it was ron johnson was running Apple stores at the time at one time when the when the iPad launched he said you know this device is why we built the Apple stores or I think he put it that the Apple stores were designed primarily to sell this very same thing here that you're seeing now and that was in 2010 and that was already nine years after the store uh, store process uh, building process began and then you also have to realize the other magical thing is that you realize that you can't get stores out in the tens of thousands. No. you've got to get stores out in the hundreds and and slowly and you've got to get the right locations and even now they're they're still deeply un, 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 unpenetrated in, in, in outside of the United States. So so they're, they're, they're barely barely scratching the surface of what retail needs to be. Um, and, and that's I think why they brought in this new person. So mm. you see how how long term that thinking went, but at the same time, it's so I think obvious if you have the right conversation early on about hang on, what do we need to do here? Because we we know ourselves what we what what our core strengths are, and and that leads us to to this picture. So anyway, long story.
0: Yeah, well, it's it's an interest, it's a fascinating topic, and I'm really glad you were able to um, come on the show and 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 talk about talk talk through all your thoughts on it. And um it's 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 been really great having you on. I just wanna say thank you again and uh, and I think we should probably wrap up there. It's uh Okay great it's, it's getting on. So um if you'd like to talk more about this, you can reach me on Twitter at John Chidgy and check out my writing at techdistortion.com. If you'd like to send any feedback, please use the feedback form on the website and that's where you'll also find show notes under the episode for the episode under podcasts and pragmatic. You can follow Pragmatic Show on Twitter and you'll see show announcement, other related materials. And uh, again, thank you so much, Horace, uh, for joining me. What's the best way for people to get in touch with you if they want to?
1: Okay. um, I'm on Twitter at uh, asymco A-S-Y-M-C-O. And (coughs) also, that's my blog, Asimco.com. And... uh... My Critical Path podcast on 5x5 mm-hmm. is uh, also a place you can hear me.
0: That is absolutely required listening. I've been listening to every episode from the beginning. So if you haven't wow. tried it out, you should You should be listening to that. And um, a sim car also, I think, uh, bears A mention. sim
1: car is is a, is a hobby, just in the, in the <laughs> same vein as, a great as the Apple TV. But it's a hobby because we started it some time ago thinking that, you know, this is one of those industries that makes a great – Thing to to study as as a, as another lens, but mm-hmm. also because we think it's probably ripe for a big change, and then we're seeing that happening. Yeah, I, as, I love listening as, to it.
0: I've I've learned quite a lot from listening to a sim car. So another one I'm um, highly recommend. So absolutely, please listen to those if you have some time. And uh, again, I'd like to personally thank Wet Frog Studios for sponsoring Pragmatic. Uh, if you're looking to add some curb appeal to your product or company, remember to specifically visit this URL: wetfrogstudios.com slash pragmatic to get a great result at half the normal price. And uh, thank you, everyone, for listening, and thank you, Horace.